Hello, you've tuned in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome again to the program. So here's Jesus saying, I give you a choice. You can either build your life wisely or you can build your life foolishly. To build your life wisely is to build your life on the teaching of Christ. To build your life foolishly is to build it your way. There is a very clear instruction in chapter 29 of Proverbs that parents should correct their children. Correction is also an important part of being a leader and as leaders we need to fear the Lord and be open to correction. Let's join Dr. Corbett now to complete our proverbial search for wisdom. Because some people have a concept of God that is totally messed up. They have a concept of God being there for them. Kind of like the genie in the bottle, theology, you know, whenever you need some help, just rub the bottle. I mean, say a prayer and this great genie will come to your aid. That's not what Christianity is about. That's not who God is. That's a false presentation. Now, if you're hearing me say God cannot meet your needs, I haven't said that at all. But I think it's important that we don't start at that point. We start at the point where we recognise that we are not right with God and we need to be made right with God. And on that basis, we have no right to demand anything from God. And anything we do get from God is a gift. Therefore, it's, what's that word again? Grace. And so grace should be the most precious word to Christians. You ever thought that Christianity is the only religion, the only religion that talks about grace? It's the only one. You ever thought about this, that every major religion of the world lays claim to Jesus Christ? You ever thought about that? Hindus claim that he was a, a reincarnation of something or other an avatar of some kind or, or other. Buddhists claim he was an enlightened one. Even the Quran calls him the prophet. And the Quran says, strangely, that at the end of the world, it will be Jesus Christ who will return, who God will use to judge the world, which I can't understand why Muslims wouldn't surrender to the one who's actually going to be the judge. This is in the Quran. All religions lay claim to Christ. Why? Because there is something absolutely, here's the word, impeccable, which means perfect, cannot be improved upon, about Jesus Christ. All religions lay claim to him. Think about that. Christianity just cuts right to the chase. We just go, well, why... <laughs> You might as well, if everybody says he's a good teacher, you might as well apply what he taught to your life. Makes sense. And so one of the things that Jesus taught about in concluding his most famous sermon, and his most famous sermon is collated from Matthew chapter 5 through to the end of Matthew chapter 7. And we have two stories that Jesus told to conclude his entire message to mankind. One starts off in Matthew 7, about verse 21. And it says this, Many will stand before me in that day. That day's got a capital D. And that day is the last day. That's judgment day. That day that we will all stand before God. And Jesus said, Many will stand before me in that day and will say to me, Lord, 
Lord. Well, that sounds pretty good. The story's going pretty well so far, wouldn't you think? But Jesus surprises his hearers, his listeners, with, with the next statement as he says, And I will say to you, to them, I never knew you. That's a pretty interesting thing for an omniscient God to say, I never knew you. And it could, it could cause some to be confused. How does an all-knowing God not know someone? It's because it's talking about knowing in a Hebrew sense. In the Hebrew sense, to know someone is to be intimate with them. It's to, it, it, it's to have them bear their heart and soul to you and for you to bear your heart and soul to them. It's to put yourself in a place of extreme vulnerability. That's what it is to know someone. When you marry, you're a little bit guarded. As you grow in love and learn to love the one you're married to, you learn to trust and you learn to make yourself more vulnerable. And so I can say today that after uh, knowing Kim for 23 years, uh, I now know her better today than I did when we first met. Um, and I'm rather glad about that because the woman that I now know, I really like. I really like Kim. In fact, I love her. She's really good. But, but I know that there are some people that use the word love in kind of a, a cold way. You know, like some people will say, I love Australia. Oh, I betcha there are people in Australia I could find who you'd struggle to love. You know, we, see, we use this word love like it's just, you know, oh, I love that. Oh, I love that. I love. Oh, give me a break. There's a word love that is to, to really get inside someone's soul, really get to see where they're at. And Jesus is calling that to know someone. doesn't use the word love. He uses that word to know, to know, to know. And he's saying, in that day, many will stand before me and say, Lord, I served you, I did this, I did that. And he will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. That, that causes me to take stock. Does it cause you, you know, do you, do you think, boy, I hope he doesn't say that to me. It, it should cause us to do a couple of things here. It should cause us to go, hey, wait a minute, I thought God was just infinitely forgiving. Where did where'd you get that idea from? Infinitely forgiving. Is God infinitely forgiving? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible actually says God is slow to anger, patient. But see what slow to anger, it means eventually you do the, <laughs> you do the wrong thing long enough, you'll provoke him. He's not infinitely forgiving. There are limits. And his forgiveness is extended to people on the proviso that they accept it and receive it. And if you don't, you're not forgiven. And so we have Jesus giving this warning right at the end of his teaching. And, and you remember in the, what's called the Beatitudes, we have blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall 
they shall see God. Blessed, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are the meek, for theirs is the kingdom. And, and, and these wonderful statements that Christ made, they're right at the end. But there'll be some that, that will not bear open their heart before me. They will not give me their heart. And they'll attend church and they'll look religious and they'll do all the things that a good person looks like. But in their heart, they're totally corrupt. They're crooked to the core with religion. And they won't be allowed in heaven. Golly, man. Well, I hope that we as a church will do the kind of business with God that says, God, we do not want you to say that to us. We want you to know us. Please have your way in my life. Then the, That's not the last thing Jesus said. The last thing Jesus said in his Beatitudes, we find in Matthew chapter 7 from verse 24 down. And, and, and that's where Jesus finished up all his teaching and he said this, I've presented to you two ways to build your life. One is what I call the wise way, one is called the foolish way. And if you've ever gone through Sunday school, you would have learnt the song. The wise man built his The wise man built his house upon the rock. You did, did, you did do the actions? The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up, but the house on the rock stood firm. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand, and the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the foolish man's house went... Oh, man, that's when you go ballistic as a kid. The foolish man's house went... Because it was built on sand. And that's how, believe it or not... That's how Jesus summed up his entire message with that song. No, with that story. <laughs> Imagine the Lord of glory going. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so here's Jesus saying, I give you a choice. You can either build your life wisely or you can build your life foolishly. To build your life wisely is to build your life on the teaching of Christ. To build your life foolishly is to build it your way. In the book of Proverbs, it says this twice. Once in Proverbs 14, and I think the other one's in Proverbs 16. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is, anyone know? Death. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. Mentions it twice in the book of Proverbs. It says that... it. There is a way that you can say, no, this is how I'm going to live my life. And Jesus, on the day of judgment, will call you a fool. A fool for thinking that you know better than God. A fool for thinking that what is right or wrong is up to you. Jesus says that's foolish. At the funeral service yesterday, I reminded people that in the very beginning, 
When God created Adam and Eve, he gave but one rule. One rule. One rule. Do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's it. One rule. Isn't that amazing? One rule to govern the whole earth. Incredible. One rule. Do you know how many laws we have now to govern behaviour? I mean, just the Tax Act is that thick. It's a book this thick. That's just one section of our law. But in the very beginning, God just gave one. That takes an infinitely intelligent person to come up with one rule to govern the whole earth. But even that one rule, mankind didn't keep. And they didn't keep with the temptation that Satan came. And it was this. Eat of that fruit and you'll become like God. You can place yourself in the position of God. And the last half of the temptation goes like this. Knowing right from wrong. But that word knowing is a Hebrew sense of determining right and wrong. You see, when you live without God, when you live, as Proverbs says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death, you live in a way where you determine what's right and wrong. And Jesus, Jesus says, that's foolish. So how do we realign ourselves back to the way God wants us to live? Well, firstly, we know that God sent Jesus Christ. The ultimate message in a person. Jesus was truth. Jesus was the message. When he's standing before Pilate and Pilate asked him, asked him the question, what is truth? Jesus gave the answer loud and clear by just standing there. Jesus is truth. And so when we realign ourselves with what God wants, we find the truth as given to us by Christ in this book, the Bible, this is no ordinary book. This is the Word of God. 66 books in the Bible that God has given us to reveal His will, His way, and His Word to us. And the Bible says this, that in order to be corrected, you must soften your heart. And there's a Hebrew expression, the strange expression, and it describes the person who won't be corrected as someone who stiffens their neck. Stiffens their neck. But there's a picture in the book, of Hebrew, uh, the book of Proverbs, which we're going to see in a moment, is when a parent takes a child, and perhaps, Daryl, you could be my pseudo-child for the moment. Just come here, please. Just stand down there, face, face the family. Come over here, right in camera shot. This is going on the worldwide interweb right now. Smile to America. Here we go. So I want you to stiffen your... That's pathetic. Stiffen your neck. I'm still moving your head, mate. That's pathetic. Does anybody go to the gym, work out, so you've got a strong neck? Oh, no, all right. Stiffen your neck. All right, stiff. stiff. Oh, oh, muscles. Any girls looking for a husband? This guy's got muscles. All right, what's this? Imagine if, I, if I'm, I'm, I'm uh, Daryl's dad and, and I'm wanting him to look over there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's try that again. Ready? <laughs> I want him to look over there. <laughs> All right, try it again. I'm going to make you look that way. All right, so resist. Resist. Okay. All right. I'm going to make Daryl look over. <laughs> oh, yuck. What'd you put in your hair this morning? Gross. 
I'm going to make Daryl look over there. Well, now, if we kept going like this, eventually, <laughs> he is doing what it says in the book of Proverbs, is stiffening or hardening his neck. And eventually, he would end up with a... All right, go and sit down. <laughs> eventually, he'd end up with a... Because of my... I mean, I obviously held back. I, the full brunt of my masculine strength would be felt by Daryl and I would break his neck. <laughs> These hands are licensed with ASIO. And so let's go to Proverbs chapter 29. And it's a picture here of a person who won't allow God to put his hand on their shoulders and, and really turn them. And, and it says in Proverbs, and we're going to see that, that, that half of this chapter is about God correcting a person. And, and God says, the person that I can correct is a wise person. And we're going to see really three things come out of this chapter, chapter 29 of Proverbs. One is the, the, the emphasis on, on having a heart that can be corrected. And we see in this opening verse a picture of a person who will not allow God to direct their lives. And it's a picture of brokenness. And there are people who are suffering what's called breakdowns. Because God wants to turn them. And they won't be turned. They stiffen their neck. So let's read Proverbs 29 verse 1 says this, He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Breakdown often comes when we will not accept correction. Breakdown often comes when we won't accept the correction that comes from God. And sometimes that correction comes through an ugly thing called reality. It's when someone realises that their hopes or dreams are not going to work out the way they'd hoped. It's perhaps the person who, who falls off a horse and becomes a quadriplegic. And in one sense their body's broken, but in another sense if they will accept where they're at. They won't have their spiritual neck broken. These are perhaps hard lessons, and that may be an extreme example, but maybe we could draw examples from our own life. We don't have to fall off a horse to resist the correction of God. He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. God wants us to be correctable, teachable. There's, there's something else we're going to see in this chapter of Proverbs because Christ wants his church, we read in the Beatitudes, those three chapters, five, six, seven of Matthew, the most powerful, potent teaching of Christ, where Jesus said, I want my people to be like salt and light. It's an amazing thing when you put salt into a meal or when you put a herb into a meal that it can flavour the whole dish. And Jesus is saying, that's how I want you to be to the world. You know the word church means 
called out ones. What are we called out from? The world. We're called out from the world. And when you're called out from the world, Jesus does a very curious thing. He calls you to go back into it. But not as it. As distinct from it. We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. We're called to influence society. We're called to be salt and light. And so we're going to see in this chapter in particular what I might call leadership proverbs because Christians should play a leadership role in society because we're here to tell the world about God and his ways. So let's see what we, what we learn here. We, we're going to see three things hopefully in this chapter. One is about being teachable or correctable. One is about reality. God wants us to accept reality. For some of us, we've been told as little children, you can do Whatever you want to do. You can be whoever you want to be. Listen, there are some kids who are only ever going to grow to five foot five. They'll never be a, what do you call the person who tees off in a ruckman or, or something like that. They'll, they'll, you know, so there's a reality that some people have to accept. And, and Proverbs says it's wise if you learn what that reality is. Let's have a look at some of these. These Proverbs to help us to find out how we can live God's way. Verse 2, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. What's it saying there? God is looking for his people to take a leadership role, to be righteous. Verse 3, He who loves wisdom makes his father glad. Now how does a child love wisdom and make his father glad? By, By accepting the teaching. By being open to what someone wants to teach them. That's being... That's called being correctable, teachable. But a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. Verse 4, again, a leadership proverb. By justice, a king builds up the land, but he who exacts gifts tears it down. The leadership principle here, the proverbial piece of wisdom here, is that God's people will add value to whatever they put their hand to. You ever walk down the street seen a piece of rubbish and thought someone should pick that up? Am I the only one? Have you ever walked down the street, seen a piece of rubbish on the ground? Not your rubbish, you didn't put it there. You're disgusted by the person who did, but you picked it up and put it in the bin. Thank you. Thank you. I try to make a habit of doing that. The righteous add value wherever they go. You ever had a bedroom where you've walked in and it's your bedroom and it's your clothes and you put them there on the floor? I'm talking to, I was going to say I'm talking to teenagers, but I may well be talking to husbands. I may well be talking to every. The righteous add value. A king builds up the land. It is wise to add value. You ever met someone and added value to them? Encourage them? The righteous, the wise, build up. The land. Verse 9, a man who flatters his neighbour spreads a net for his feet. An evil man, verse 6, this is another leadership proverb. An evil man is ensnared in his transgression, but a righteous man sings and rejoices. The, The heart that is free is a heart that can sing. It was... Andrew, I'm not sure it was Andrew Bonner, 
Andrew someone or other, a Scottish poet, said this. Give me the songs of a nation and I care not who writes its laws. The wise, the righteous, sing. Singing songs is a wise thing to do. Amen? Verse 7. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. So this again is a leadership proverb. Verse 8, another leadership proverb. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise man turns away wrath. Verse 9. If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs and there is no quiet. The difference there is the wise man actually has an argument. The fool only has his anger. Verse 10, it's another leadership proverb. Bloodthirsty men hate one who is blameless and seek the life of the upright. It's also a reality proverb. You do the right thing, you do the right thing, and the world may not necessarily be standing back and applauding. The world may actually stand back and criticise and try and tear you down. That's the proverb. Verse 11, another leadership proverb. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. The one who says he has no control over his emotions is not living wisely. Verse 12, if a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will be wicked. So it's wise to get wise advice. The poor man and the oppressor meet together. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. That's that's what we would call a reality proverb. This is interesting. A rich man or an an oppressor, a poor man, both have, in many respects, the same opportunities at life. What are you going to do when life doesn't deal you the cards you were hoping for? Complain? Whinge? Sit in a corner? Crawl up? Rock back and forth? Pull your jumper over your head? Or are you going to go, God, how do I get out of this? How do I change this? Because sometimes the most precious thing God can give you is an opportunity. An opportunity to change your circumstance. Verse 14, if a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. It's another leadership proverb. Here's a correction proverb. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So parents need to, need to, need to discipline their children. Verse 16. When the wicked increase, this is a leadership proverb, transgression increases, but the righteous will look upon their downfall. Here's a correction proverb, verse 17. Discipline your child and he will give you rest. Discipline your child, he'll give you rest. Um, My son left home at the start of this year and and, and I was full of apprehension about that. But he has done really, really well. Really well. And I'm very, very proud of him. But you know, that didn't happen by accident. And one of the most insulting things anyone can say is, gee, you've been lucky with your kids. It's insulting because... Luck's got nothing to do with it. It's just hard work. 
it is just continual hard work. And it's hard as a parent. I, 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 don't, um, I don't relish anyone who's a single parent because you've got twice the job with half the, the resources. It's hard. And it is. It's hard. But the Bible says if you can do it, if you can, if you can take those extra steps and put in it this time and discipline your children, they'll give you rest or refreshing later on down the track. Verse 18. Where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. So leaders are responsible to teach people the word of God. That's the, the antithesis. Antithetical parallelism. You were probably all thinking that already, weren't you? Antithetical parallelism. It's where the next line contrasts the first line. So prophetic vision is not, well, I have a dream. Prophetic vision is a word from God for how we should live. That's the law of the Lord. And so leaders are people who teach people the law of God. Teach people, parents teach their children scripture. And without that, it says people just cast off restraint and live any old how, and that is a foolish way to live. Here's verse 19, a correction proverb. By mere words, a servant is not disciplined, for though he understands, he will not respond. Verse 20, here's a reality proverb. See if you can see the reality in this. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. This is one of the surest ways you can tell Something is probably not of God. If you've had no preconceived thought about it, you've put no preparation into it, you've not taken any advice on it, you've not prayed about it, and you just snap and make a decision. Probably not God. Probably not God. Uh, A couple of months ago, we as a board were fairly urgently praying about... um, the staff vacancy we had as a church. We were praying about it. We were talking about it. We were thinking about it. I had Phil Hills say to me, Andrew, this is the type of person you, I think you should find and employ. And, and he described a superman. And I thought, yeah, right. Like, as if there's a person like that that walks the planet. The next Sunday night, Colin Kettle walked in and he had all of the things of Superman, even the blue cape, undies on the outside, the whole thing. <laughs> and what looked, what looked like a snap decision to some was not really a snap decision. It had been something we had thought about for months and months, prayed about, taken advice on, and then when the opportunity came, we were ready. Bang. It looked like a snap decision. But there are sometimes decisions made, and salesmen do this all the time. You walk into a shop, you go, oh. By the way, if you ever want to go in and buy a $9 toaster and you're not getting served, here's a clue. Go up to the $3,000 plasma screen TV and just stand in front of it. You'll get help real soon. Now, but salesmen know that, that if, they can, if they can get you to make an impulse decision, you can make a foolish decision. They know it. So don't be hasty in your decision. Accept the reality that some things are just going to have to wait. Verse 21, here's a correction proverb. Whoever pampers his servant from childhood will in the end find him his heir. 
whoever pampers his servant from childhood will in the end find him his heir. If you are able to correct your own children, they'll take their rightful place. But if you don't, someone else will. Verse 22. A man of wrath stirs up strife, but one given to anger causes and one given to anger causes much transgression. Verse 23, here's a correction proverb. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honour. If you want honour, it takes humility. And this is the consistent message of the book of Proverbs itself. Verse 24, a partner of a thief hates his own life. He fears the curse, but discloses nothing. Here's a leadership proverb. This is a powerful one. I've got it underlined, highlighted, because this is... This is one that I want to define my life by. The fear of man lays a snare. We should not be swayed by the negative opinions of others. The fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Do you realise if you're right and the whole world says you're wrong and God's on your side, you've got a majority? And so when the government wants to introduce certain legislation, that is wrong. And we say, thus says the Lord, this is wrong. We can be right. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Here's another leadership proverb, two to go. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. So many seek the face of a ruler. Many seek the face of rule. You know, in one sense, in a church, the pastor plays a real pivotal role. And in, in some churches, people are really ticked if they can't get the pastor and, you know, bail him up and, and, you know, just got him. I thank God that we're in a church where it's not all on, it's not all on me. And I remember once, we, we had somebody who was visited by about half a dozen people when they were in hospital, half a dozen people from our church, various times. And for some reason, I wasn't able to get in, which is a rare event. I wasn't able to get in. And the word came back from this person, a word of complaint, complaining about the church. And they're telling their friends and family, no one from the church came to visit me. Gee, I was upset by that. Because I thought, firstly, it's not true. There was half a dozen or so people that went and visited them. Many people seek the face of a ruler, but justice comes from the Lord. Where are you looking for your help and strength? In a church, where are you looking? Because if you're looking to me to solve all your problems, I've got great news. Let's just cut to the chase. I got a clue. I, most of the time, I'm going to go... You're in a mess, aren't you? It's like you're going to go, well, I came to you because I wasn't a mess and you're not helping at all. Many people seek the face of a ruler, but justice comes from the Lord. And so I'm really thrilled now that those sort of comments, we don't hear that often now at all because there are people that go in and if Mark and Wendy go in and visit someone in hospital or go around and have someone back for a cup of coffee, they are the church. If someone else goes and visits them, they are the church. I reckon that's fantastic. Sometimes people on leaving saying, you know what this church should do, pastor? And I go, what? 
It doesn't matter what they're going to say. What they mean is, Pastor, what you should do is um, whatever. Oh, I feel so much better now. Got that off my chest. <laughs> oh. oh, dear. All right, last one. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, but one whose way is upright is an abomination to the wicked. That's both a leadership proverb and a reality proverb. And it reminds us again that when you do the right thing, people may not appreciate it. So here's our challenge today. We want to live wisely, just like Christ said. We want to be a people who do the right thing, who apply God's word and live the way he wants. And the Bible's promise is that if we do that, we can experience joy and peace and blessing. Proverbs 8.18 is a great fridge magnet. And so if you can learn to live the way God wants, it's going to take correction, being teachable, correctable. If someone comes up to you and says, hey, you shouldn't have done that, don't go, hmm, who are you to tell me what to do? Don't do that. The Bible calls that a foolish way to respond. The Bible calls that a way of stiffening your neck. Don't do that. Someone comes up to you and says, hey, you did this. You know, you shouldn't have done it that way. You should have done it this way. What you should do is say, oh, thanks for that. And if you're really teachable, you'll follow it up with this. Hey, is there any other nitpicking you'd like to do? (laughs) Sorry. Oh, gee, flesh, die down. If you're really teachable, what you'll do is you'll say, hey, thanks, I really appreciate that. Hey, anytime you see me in a way that maybe I could do something to improve what I'm doing, could you just, could you just do what you've just done? Because I, I really I appreciate it when it comes from you and your heart. That's a teachable spirit. Who wants a teachable spirit? Two people. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Okie dokie then. Let's just tell a joke and wrap up in prayer. Or let's just wrap up in prayer. Here we go. Father, we do, we, we do want you to correct us. And Lord, as Jeremiah said, we want you to do it gently. We want you to do it in a way that we are able to respond, not with resistance, not with a heart of pride, not with a heart that says, I hate it when others tell me what to do. But Lord, I pray that you do something in us that would help us to live more fully for you. Now, Lord, if there are those who are hearing me right now and they've never given their life to Christ, this is the greatest correction that they'll ever need to make. A life being corrected from going their own way, there is a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in death, to the way of God. And if that's you today and you know that you need to get your life right with God, you need to find peace with God, then I invite you to pray a prayer Because you're just one prayer away from peace with God. You're one prayer away from having your eternal destiny in heaven secured. And that that prayer sounds like this. God, I give you my heart. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that even though I deserve to die for my sin, you came and died in my place for my sin. You exchanged your life for mine. And I receive it now and I thank you for it. Amen. Being corrected is not always comfortable, but it's essential to the development of wisdom. And that concludes Dr. Corbett's series, A Proverbial Search for Wisdom. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, A Proverbial Search for Wisdom Part 5, are available from Lagana Media. You can contact us at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277, or via the website 
findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.